Just tell the folks you'll be at the barbecue late or just start tomorrow. Just give this time all to God right now. How many want to go hard for Jesus? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We're going verse by verse through the Bible. Today we're in chapter 19. This may be a little bit nervous for you. Trust me, it's a little bit nervous for me. The moment I talked about marriage and divorce and all that, some of you might have started sweating and wondering how is this going to go. Well, let me just say this right at the beginning. It's going to go good. We may have to go through some tough subjects. We may have to be honest and real about some stuff. But I will tell you what, there is redemption in this message. There is hope in this message. And I am thankful that God cared enough about our marriages and the things that we go through to give us his teachings. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Come on, thank you. Go to chapter 19, verse 1. What I want to do is read the whole context first with very minimal interruption because I believe you need to hear Jesus' full answer and description of this subject without me interjecting, and then we'll go through it. Here it is in verse 1 of chapter 19. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? If you can highlight in your Bible or app, do so. Highlight that phrase, for any and every reason. Very key to understanding Jesus' answer. Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his wife, uh, leave his father rather, and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Very popular passage, but let's keep going. Verse 7, they have a follow-up question. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Highlight that as well. Because your hearts were hard. That's very key. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Then the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made by others. That hurts. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, let me just start right at the end where he talks about eunuchs. This is the part that uh, he tags alongside of this because the disciples say, man, if it's going to be this strict in marriage till death do us part except for adultery, is anybody really qualified to do this? And then he mentions the eunuch. A eunuch in their period of time could be someone that desired to remain single for the sake of God 
or had had as a male their private parts castrated and were made to not have reproduction. So that's where the, where the eunuch idea comes from. And then he said right there at the end, some can just choose to do this as their devotion to God. The Roman Catholics now make all their priests choose, hence all the sexual frustration and perversion in the priesthood. They, use, they, they lose tens of thousands of priests because of this. And then the priests hurt people and even nuns, it's out there. So you should never be forced to be single to be a Christian. That should never be forced upon you in any position. So the idea is if you don't want to be married, that's okay. But why is it you don't want to be married? Is it because you really just don't have a, a sex drive or a desire to be in a sexual relationship with the opposite sex? That, that's okay. Maybe you were born that way. And there could be a hint here of an hermaphrodite, someone with sexual organs that don't really complement a marriage, and they're just going to remain this way. The gay community tries to slip in here. People were born gay. But that wouldn't follow the context because if eunuch equals the term gay or homosexual, lesbian, etc., then that means someone could make you gay, make you lesbian. I know they don't believe that. So don't try to, what we say, eisegete the scripture, to put your own interpretation into it, eisegete, exegete the scripture, exit the meaning from the scriptures. Everybody get that? Some little Greek words on interpretation there. And so what we simply see here, if you're born asexual, hermaphrodite, without sexual desire, that's okay. If you've been made that way by force, because remember we're talking about the Roman Empire and different empires that mistreated people, you can still please God in whatever position you're in. And then lastly, if you want to do singleness unto God, that's great as well. And then I would just tagline this in there because some of you know my story. I felt like I was going to be the bad bachelor to the rapture because I was single from 18 to 28 and I only dated a little bit. If you're single for a season, there's a reason. Understand that reason. It's not just to make more money, get more promotions, go hard and get married at 40 and try to have kids at 50 like our culture does. It's because you're giving your time and attention to God. Look at it. For the sake of the kingdom of God because it is natural and it is a part of God's design for you to marry in a, at a young age and to have children and to give the days of your youth to your spouse and to your family. That's the natural order. And so for those who say, well, I'm just going to stay single, normally they're having disordered sexual things, you know. They're having booty calls. They're having shacking relationships, you know, having children outside of marriage, and that's not God's natural way. And so if you're here today and you're in one of those kind of like five-year relationships and he still hasn't asked me to marry him yet and you're a lady, let me just talk to you. Stop, stop giving him the milk and then you'll see him want to buy the cow, okay? And, and I'm sorry to say it like that, but stop giving the milk for free and you'll see him want to buy, okay? You say there's no more nooky-nooky going on in the bedroom, you'll see how fast he goes on his knees right now. He'll go on his knees right now and pull out something, will you marry me? Because that dude will get serious. And so I know it sounds funny, but it's real. The, the man is really the one that's, that's supposed to set the standard. And ladies, when you don't and you, you let them set the standard, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be strung around for a long time, okay? And so let's believe God for his best, amen? Okay, so now let's go up to the beginning, please. Say around verse 3. The Pharisees, as we have studied before, are the religious guys that keep messing with Jesus. They don't have good intentions. They're always looking to trap him. And so at this time, a part of the problems they were dealing with was this idea of divorce for any and every reason. 
They wanted to see, Jesus, what is your solution to our divorce epidemic? And I just want to ask you a question. Can anybody relate to a culture that believes in divorce for any and every reason? I think we can relate to that. And I don't have time to get into the history of America and how we used to be different and how even some states to this day have different laws that make it a little bit harder for you to get a divorce. But I want you to see that that's the context they were in and the context we are in, that you can divorce for any and every reason. They asked Jesus, what is going on with this? What does God think about this? And then notice what Jesus does in verse 4. He brings them right back to the beginning. He says, haven't you read in the beginning? There was a creator that made us male and female. How many know there's a creator? How many know you're his creation? Amen. How many know the creator had a purpose for you, the creation? Amen. So you need to live by that purpose and figure it out. In that one sentence alone, there's about four nuggets that will blow up most people's worldviews. Remember, a worldview is how you view the world. The first thing that we learn here when Jesus said, in the beginning, haven't you read this, is that he affirms the Old Testament. A lot of times people look back at the Old Testament as that scary part of the Bible, a lot of sketchy stuff going on there. And, uh, you know, people now think that Jesus is the nice version of God. I'll take him, leave the Old Testament stuff behind. And Jesus is like, no, I believe that stuff. That is real. Haven't you read? So if Jesus is saying, haven't you read, shouldn't you read? You should read. Now, I always encourage new Christians, start by reading the New Testament with the Old Testament. To start with the Old Testament without the New Testament, that's a little bit hard to catch on. But it's great to read them both together. And a lot of Bible reading plans, like the one I put out in my daily devotions, gives you a touch of the Gospels, a touch of the Epistles, some Psalms, and some portions of the Old Testament. It's really good to read your Bible that way. That's the first thing that we learn. The second thing that we learn is that Jesus had a six-day creation model that he believed in. Now, notice this. He said, in the beginning, in the beginning. So that means that Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. That's the beginning. I am a six-day creationist. Now, I know a lot of people like to make fun of us out there, and they have a lot of tough questions, and I'm going to give you a great website to look up, Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis, they're the guys who built the ark in Kentucky. They, they have models of dinosaurs and show how they lived with man, and I know to the world around us that they think we believe in aliens now or something. They're like, do you believe man lived with dinosaurs? I'm like, yeah, man still lives with dinosaurs. Have you seen an alligator? Just look up what an alligator, it's a living dinosaur. Platypuses, there's a lot of animals that they find in the same strata and the same digs that they find the most ancient of all creatures. There's about, you can look it up, 10 living dinosaurs, you know. You can look that up. And that's not just a Christian website. That's a science-based, uh, you know, well, we're Christian scientists as well, but I should say it's a neutral website. The bottom line is they were just big lizards after the flood when it was time to start killing and eating stuff. We looked at the biggest thing and said, we better kill him before he kills us. You guys get what I'm saying? If you're bringing two of the land-dwelling animals with you and you're bringing about two T-Rex, you don't bring the biggest, you bring the smallest. So you bring many T-Rex like this that you can control and feed on the ark. When you watch him get off the ark and he becomes bigger than a tree... You know, and by the way, this is not Jurassic Park where they can dodge bullets and all of that. You know, all animals compared to us are stupid, okay? You just build a, build a pit, put a little lamb on top of it with some, with some light branches. The rawr, 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 he's going to walk right there. Boom, he falls in it. You kill him. You go, oh, I don't believe you can do that. We've been killing whales with canoes, 
We had to tell the Native Americans and these people, the Eskimos, stop killing them. Stop killing them. Whales, big as houses, big as, big as uh, stadiums, you know, or like, like big ones, you know, maybe 100 yards, 50 yards. I don't know how some of these biggest ones were. They tell stories about them. But they just get out there with the canoe. You know what they do? They see the thing come up, you know, blow its little air, throw a thing on it. And then they just let the thing pull them around like it's water skiing. Then the thing eventually gets out of air, and then they just jump and stab the thing a few times. My point is, in the beginning, God made all these creatures. After the flood, some of them didn't last very long because of those reasons, okay? Number one, Jesus believed in the Bible in the Old Testament. Number two, Jesus believed in the six-day creation. There's two other options I want to tell you about real quick. That's Christian evolution. Believe it or not, there can be smart, dumb ideas, okay? Smart people with dumb ideas. They think they're really smart, but the idea is dumb. And I know it sounds like a contradiction, and it is, but I'm trying to be funny. There are people who say, I'm a Christian. I believe God's the creator, but he used evolution. How do we know that Jesus didn't believe that? He said, in the beginning, So if they look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, kind of like an allegory, a parable, a story about people who really didn't exist, Noah's flood really didn't happen, it's all a story until you get to Abraham, and then that's real history, then why did Jesus say in the beginning? Because millions and billions of years would have passed by before these kinds of things would have happened, like marriage and so forth. That would not be the beginning. Billions of years in the past would have been the beginning. Are you guys tracking? You can look up biologos. These are smart scientists who have dumb ideas about how God did it. The guy leading it, his name is Dr. Francis Collins. He was the leader of the human gene code with the White House and all that. Really smart guy, dumb idea. The other one that tries to fit in between Christian evolution and Christian creation is the day-age theory, and they take the first five days as ages. So it's not a day with a morning and a night, even though it literally says morning and night each one of those days. These are ages and time periods that God allows somewhat like evolution type things to happen, but then on day six, he He creates mankind. There's a real Adam and Eve, and everything from there kind of goes on as it would be, as as normal. But the problem with that is, is that at the beginning? No, because if Adam and Eve came millions and billions of years later, it's still not the beginning. So whether or not you try to tack on through the goo to to you through the zoo, uh, from the goo, or whether or not you believe in the day-age theories, you can't take Jesus' words seriously. Number one, he took the Bible serious. Number two, he believed in the six-day creation. And number three, can I get a number three? Somebody say number three. He believed it was male and female, y'all. That's it. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I know it's not nice to say it these days, but that's kind of how it works. If Jesus points back to the beginning and says, this is it, that's it. I like to say it like this. My wife's my bolt. Uh, I'm, I'm the bolt and my wife's the nut, okay? Okay? My wife's the outlet and I'm the plug. Are you guys listening to me? Two plugs don't make electric, electrical things work. Are you listening to, to, are you guys listening to me? Two outlets don't make electrical things work. It's male and female that reproduce the human race. And I know we want to be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and play Mr. Potato Head with people, but it's still one man, one woman. That's not to be mean. That's like saying two plus two is four is mean when the kid said it was five. No, it's not mean to say the truth. 
Jesus went right back to the beginning and he said, this is how all sexuality was supposed to be, male and female. And then he said, singular man leaves his father and mother and gets united to his singular wife. Polygamy doesn't work here. You know, polyamory, orgies, all of these things are wickedness according to the Bible. And the two will become one flesh. How many are glad that a bolt and a nut go together? How many are glad that a plug and an outlet go together? God made that. So number four, Jesus loves our sexuality. He made us to be sexual. Sexuality is not part of the uh, the curse and it's gross and icky. It was at the beginning. He made us to do that. What do we learn from that one passage right here, starting with that one verse? Jesus believed the Old Testament. Jesus believed in an early creation. That means the earth is only about 6,000 years old. And a lot of times people say, well, why is there so much distant starlight? Why is there so much age in the earth? When he made Adam and Eve, did he make them babies or grown? Did he give them a bunch of seeds and plant trees or did he give grown trees? When he made a universe, how did he make it? To function with gravity, with the laws in order, okay? With the mature earth and universe. Number three, the Bible says he taught it was male and female. And number four, sexuality is good. Now, we are to simply take that and go with it. It's not supposed to be complicated. It's supposed to be good. It's, it's man and woman, get married have sex, have babies, live your life, to death do you part, any questions class, let's go, uh, you know, go home and do your homework, you know, go apply that. If you're married, go apply that, you know. If you're single, ready to mingle, make sure you date like a Christian. If you want to know how to do that, there's a book in the back, right? But they have to ask the follow-up, verse 7. Well, then why did Moses, back in that Old Testament that you're quoting from, why did he say we could divorce our wives? Like, that was a cool thing to do. We had permission to do that. And Jesus tells them why it was that way. Remember the beginning part I wanted you to highlight was for any and every reason. The second part was because your hearts were hard. So why did God allow divorce? Was it his best? No, he did it because the hearts were hard. Why do people today want to divorce for any and every reason? Because their hearts are hard. Doesn't mean it's right. It just means God allowed it. Now, in the New Testament, he is clear. I'm not playing with your hard heart anymore. If you do it for any other reason outside of adultery, that means they cheated on you. If you go now divorce and remarry, you commit adultery. So I'm not putting up with you guys divorcing for any and every reason. I want you to be better. I want you to be different. Go back to Adam and Eve. Be like you were supposed to be. And in the new covenant, we're born again. We're given the Holy Spirit. There's no excuse why we can't do it. And so now we have to stop as Christians in the 21st century and say, do we believe what Jesus said? I do. Now Paul, in his epistle, let's go there to the 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7, He expands that teaching. So it's never contradictory with the epistles, say, from the Gospels. It's always complementary, expanding. Let me give you a quick example. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Do unto others as you want done unto yourself. But Paul wrote an entire chapter on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. You see how Paul expands it? Is there anything that Paul says in his expansion of love that contradicts what Jesus meant in love? 
No, there's never a contradiction. It's a compliment. So let's go to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to have to start a little bit further in the passage, verse 12, though I encourage you to read the whole chapter when you have time. Here's the part where Paul expands. He adds one more biblical reason for divorce. One more biblical reason. Let's see if you can catch it. Verse 12. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So you just can't get divorced because you are now married to a non-Christian. Though the command is, if you are a Christian, to only marry a Christian. Okay, but if you find yourself either having made the mistake of married a non-Christian or you became a Christian after being married to a non-Christian and they're still a non-Christian, no divorce there. You don't get to, to do that. That would go under any and every reason because you have a hard heart and don't want to work it out. Let's keep going. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband, her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, you are holy. Basically, by you staying with an unbeliever, you're blessing your family and bringing God's holiness there, setting apart your life from the ways of the world. You're like protecting them by having your say in the family and watching over your children. Isn't that good? Okay, that's very good. Now, verse 15, here it comes. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Do you see how he says right there that if they want to leave, you are free to let them leave. Let's go back to the notes and see if I can summarize this. Go all the way down to the two biblical reasons for divorce. Keep scrolling down, please. The two biblical reasons for divorce are going to be under the passage. Is number one, Jesus' reason, adultery. The Greek word there is porinia. It's actually where we get the word pornography from. So pornography can be included in this. And let me just say as I go through the two reasons, just because someone has done this to you doesn't mean you have to divorce them. You can work through the situations. It just means you are free to divorce. So obviously if somebody cheats on you and you're married, the Bible says you're free to divorce. You're free to say, that's not cool. I'm going to start over. And I include, like I said, pornography in there because that's sex with your spouse. How many know pornography is sex with yourself and it's perverted, it's an addiction, and it can ruin your sex life and cause you to neglect your duties as a husband or a wife. So it's a very serious sin that Jesus even said if you do it with your heart, it's like you've done it with your body. Lust of the heart is like the same thing of sex with the body. Just like anger in the heart is like murder in the body. He makes that same connection. Now listen, the consequences are different. It's different when you look at pornography versus cheating on your wife. There's less hurt, pain, etc. The wife may be quicker to forgive you. But in God's kingdom, the sin is equally the same. And the way I've shared that with you is there may be a hundred uh, uh, links of a chain between your broke down car being towed by Jesus, right? And unless Jesus pulls your car, you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell, okay? And now there may be golden links on the chain. There may be gold-plated, silver-plated, and just normal-plated stuff. But if anyone 
one of those breaks, you're still broke off from Jesus. You're separated from God. Does everybody get that? So you may be doing all these things great and all these things you're doing awesome, but one of those break off, you're separated. So the consequences are different even though it's the same sin. So I say to those who are in pornography, guard your heart, guard your lives, because you may find yourself going to a place you never wanted to. Even though it's still sin, you might find yourself cheating in the physical way because you've already been doing it up here. Amen? Okay, now the second one is abandonment. That's where the unbeliever leaves. And people get technical. They're like, well, my husband says he's still a Christian, or my, you know, my, my wife says she's still a Christian, but they've left me. Well, are they living like a Christian? Not are they saying it. How many know everybody's a Christian? You know, Christian. They go to Christmas and Easter services, and what do we call them? Christers, right? Everybody does it. Well, that doesn't mean anything. The question is, are you living for Jesus? And if you are, you should stay. You shouldn't leave. And if you have left, I don't think you're really living for Jesus if you don't have that reason. You're trying to get under every, uh, you know, any and every reason. Now, I also put personally as a pastor, and we teach in this church, that abandonment covers abuse. Because how many know if you're living with an abusive person, they have abandoned you as their spouse. Like they're not covering you anymore. They're not there to help. Like it would be like the same thing if you saw somebody on the street that said, I want to beat you up. Would you bring them into your house to beat, have them beat you up? No. If someone's now in your house and is now beating you up, they have abandoned loving and caring and being there for you. So don't let them make the excuse to say, well, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. You know, that would be like a typical guy that abuses a wife and then says, but I'm still a Christian and I'm staying here. So you're forced to be with me. No, I'm not. You have abandoned your role as my husband. You're acting as an enemy. You're hurting me and I'm done with you. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, not only are those two reasons there, but there's also separation reasons to, to separate. Let's go to those two, please. When we think about separating, you can scroll down. When we think about separating, we're not divorcing. And a lot of people don't understand that there is a biblical way to separate. The Bible actually talked about it in 1 Corinthians 7. If you could scroll over to the verse, I'll show it to you quickly. In verse 5, it says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now, sometimes we just think about this as Christians in the same home having a great marriage. We're going to fast and not have sex for that time. That's generally how it's meant, but it can also apply to couples not getting along and them saying, we are hurting each other, not helping. I'm going to go stay with my parents, not so I can date, get out of responsibility and forget about you, so that I can go pray and seek God, and you can pray and seek God, and we'll get counseling and work through this. Go back to the notes, please. So people who are spiritually distraught and they're going through uh, tough times do not need to feel like they have to stay in the physical house with their spouse. Isn't that kind of rhyming there? House with your spouse. If it's going to keep hurting them, they can separate. I don't think it's the best thing. I think they should have worked things out before it got to that point. But instead of cheating, instead of y'all killing each other, instead of you getting like, like super far away from God, it's okay to involve your pastors, involve a good church, and go, I'm going to seek God. I'm asking my spouse to seek God. We're going to be separate for a while so that we don't hurt each other in this house and that we can listen to each other better than we are. Separation can save a lot of marriage is what I'm saying. And number two is if you're emotionally distraught. 
Sometimes, and I don't know why this is, but people's marriage gets so bad, they start to become depressed and they see no way out. Instead of you hurting yourself, instead of you going on depression medication, instead of all of this going on, take a moment out to be in a safe mental space to pray and be around others to do the same thing you would if you were in a bad spiritual place. Now remember, you don't get the permission to divorce. You get the permission to pray, and it shouldn't be long. I recommend no more than a week. This is not your vacation from your husband or your vacation from your wife time now, you know? But you do it with a purpose of coming back together with counsel and help. And listen, everybody listen to me, because sometimes people say, I think my spouse is cheating. I don't know. We're talking, and that's what's causing all the issue. Well, in those times of spacing out, a lot of stuff can come to the surface. For example, if they don't want you to come back home, they start having a boyfriend or girlfriend on the side. Now you scroll back up. You have your reason for divorce. Show them, please. You have your reason for divorce. So separating can actually bring out what people have been hiding. Okay, now let's go to questions because I'm sure you have a ton of them. How many have questions right now? A lot of you are like, I got a lot of questions, right? Okay, number one, will God ever allow us to change the definition of marriage to include LGBTQ, all of those things? No. Why is it not going to change? Because it was the created order from the beginning. Is God changing gravity anytime soon? Is God changing the way we breathe off oxygen or anything else that's natural to the human experience? No. And the New Testament is very clear. These things are perversions. We don't affirm perversions. Just like we don't affirm adultery, just like we don't affirm, affirm pornography, we don't affirm those things. And the beautiful part about our church is we have many that have come from that lifestyle and are thankful that God has the power to change God does have the power to change. And now, here's a good point. Everybody get it. Remember we talked about those eunuchs before? And there's one at the end that chooses to be single for the sake of the kingdom of God? Guess who that does apply to? The LGBT community. Because if they go, man, this is just all that I've known. I've always been attracted to the same sex. Or I feel like I'm trapped in this body and I'll never be happy with, you know, the, the, the sex in the normal way or the natural way. Guess what? Be single for the rest of your life. Be married to Christ. Do it for the sake of God because a lifetime, a lifetime of your sin is not worth an eternity in hell. We've already read scriptures that say it's better to cut off an arm if it causes you to sin than to go to hell with both of your arms. And so that's the mentality we're supposed to have is if our sexuality, either through the brokenness of humanity, because all of us are born broken in some ways. Somebody says, I was born this way. Well, you want to know how I was born? Come on, let's, let's hang out for a while. You'll see how I was born real quick, right? Get me in traffic. I was born to get mad and to fight and to cheat on my wife. I was born to do all that. But here's the thing, I was born again. Yes, you were born that way, but get born again. And so we don't make excuses for our past to how we live in our present. We let Jesus change us. We let Jesus show us who, who we are, and we live like that. And guess what? We live like the way he commanded. And if you read 1 Corinthians, it says there was homosexuals. It says there was all kinds of people in the church. And the Bible says that's what you were. But now you've been changed. Now you've been washed. And we have those wonderful people in our church. Uh, number two, uh, sometimes people like to get a little snooty. Well, what about God allowing polygamy in the Old Testament? Because that happened. David had wives, and Solomon had had wives. Here's the thing. There is never an example of a good polygamous marriage ever in the Bible. 
All of the polygamous relationships cause problems, and some of it damned people's soul to hell, like Solomon. The Bible says his perversion and his heart for all of his wives turned him against God. But why did God allow it? For the same reason he allowed divorce for any and every reason. Their hearts were hard. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to the least uh, common, uh, the, the, the easiest standard here. I'm not watering it down. I'm going to tell you what the main purpose was here is for man and woman. And in the New Testament, from the time of Jesus onward, we are not allowed to have polygamous relationships, just like we're not allowed to go out and divorce any way we want. Now, number three is the big question that a lot of people have because they really want to know, if I initiate a divorce for an unbiblical reason and then now remarry, the Bible says that's adultery, does that now mean my new marriage is invalid and I am in a continuous adulterous relationship? Does everybody get the question? Okay, the question would be like this. If I'm considered a cheater when I have an unbiblical divorce, do I remain a cheater even if I've asked for forgiveness because I'm still bound to my wife? You see, the divorce did not give me permission to break God's law. And so God in his mind says, you're still married to that person. Even though you have a marriage certificate over here, because you did it wrong, you're in adultery. And if you just simply say, well, forgive me for adultery, that doesn't count if you go back and do it again because you don't really want to be changed. You're living in daily adultery. The only way for you is to get divorced from the person you're with now and get reconciled to the unbiblical divorce situation and if they're already married and moved on because they were right, because you left the wrong way, they were right, now you have to remain single. I know it sounds complicated, but do you at least get a taste of the understanding here? The bottom line is, does somebody who has an unbiblical divorce get to hit reset when they've asked for forgiveness, or do they have to be reconciled or remain single? Well, here's the thing. I don't believe it's a continual sin. I think that's our Western mind of trying to create that complication there. For the Jewish people of that day, they would have simply have understood it as, oh, when I did what I did the wrong way, it was like I committed adultery. I owe God my repentance for that. It wouldn't have meant to them, now I divorce someone and go through all this complicated stuff. And so I do take Jesus' words serious, especially to those of you who are married in the church. If you think to yourself, well, it's just going to be adultery. I'll be forgiven of an unbiblical divorce. Let me just hit reset now and go about my way. Your heart is wrong and we'll disfellowship you from the church. Because we have asked you to do it otherwise, and you're saying you're not. You're in rebellion to our help. We don't want that example in the church. Okay. Now, can you come back at some point if you're truly humble, even if you're in another marriage and all of that? Yes, but it's going to take time for us to receive you back into the church because you had been purposely rebellious, went against what we asked you to do, went out there on your own, found another church to marry you and affirm you, and then now you're asking God to bless this new marriage. Now, I've seen those new marriages be blessed, but they have to come with humility, and humility would be this. I was wrong to do it the way I did it. Forgive me. I won't set that example in this church because I don't want to keep divorcing and remarrying and divorcing and remarrying for any and every reason. Can I get an amen? That's a serious thing here. And let's go all the way up to the top because I got the stats. Listen to me, my friends. 
The divorce rate for your first marriage is around 41%. A little bit less than half. People normally round it up to half. But what is the divorce rate for the second marriage? 60%. What is the divorce rate for the third marriage? 70%. That's because people don't learn. See, that's why I'm telling you, we're not going to receive you back into fellowship unless you say, I've learned how not to jack up my family again. It's serious. Even though God can forgive you, it's not an unpardonable sin, and I don't think that he's going to hold that against you moving forward. It is just a bogus move. No different, get it like this, no different than if I said to you, will God forgive me of adultery? Tom, will God forgive me? And Tom's like, yeah, God will forgive you. And I'm like, great, I'm having an affair tonight, and then I'm just going to come back to my wife and ask her to forgive me. Do you think I should still remain your pastor? No, there's a consequence for that. Can I still remain in the church telling people that's how I roll? I commit adultery and I ask God to forgive me. No, you guys would be like, this church is not for you. You're going to set a bad example to the community. And we've already gone through church disciplinary issues in Matthew 18. We actually believe those too. Amen? In closing, going all the way down to the last portion there with our band coming, please. I want to ask you this. What do you think the purpose of marriage was? In closing, look at uh, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, I believe it was to show the image of God on the earth. How many have heard this passage before in weddings? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 521. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. You notice that? His body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Everybody say in the same way. Thank you. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Does that sound familiar? Come on, Jesus said it. God said it in the Old Testament. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Going back to the notes, please. The greatest example of heaven on earth is a man and a woman living together in marriage, serving and respecting and honoring each other. From that beautiful, blessed union come the most greatest and precious gifts we can ever receive, our children. There, the family on the earth represents the family of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity, and us as family are a taste of the kingdom of God to this world who is broken and shattered and looking for hope and healing in their sexuality. And they're trying this and they're trying that and they're listening to Oprah not getting married and they're doing what Ellen does and and they're going over here and they're missing it. Their sexuality was meant 
was meant to be an example of Christ being our husband, marrying the church, the bride. And so if you're a woman, you're to find a husband. And if you're a man, you're to find a wife. And you are to love each other and to show self-sacrifice. And you're to bring those children into the world and show them what it is when people love each other and serve each other. And I dare to say, let's be honest, because many, many, many of us have come from broken families. I dare to say that some of the greatest and deepest hurts we have ever experienced have come from the broken families we were once a part of. Would you have felt what you felt if mom and dad were both serving Jesus? Would you be where you are today emotionally if you were raised right in the things of God with a mom representing all the feminine beautiful attributes that come from God and the man representing all the masculine attributes? Would you have been going through a lot of what you went through? Many here in fatherless homes not understanding what it was like to be raised with discipline and security. And then how many of you have been broken by others in bad relationships. Whether you were ever married, maybe it was just somebody you lived with or somebody you dated, and it could obviously be a broken marriage. All of that today is weighing on you, weighing on your soul. You don't love yourself like you used to because someone doesn't love you. They didn't treat you right, and you know you deserved better, but now that as time has gone by, you don't know how to fix the pieces they broke. Think about all the brokenness we have from not doing it God's way. And I'll be the first one to say, I know there's a lot of people who have been hurt and you didn't deserve it. I'll be the first to say, I can relate to watching people hurt others. But I want to tell you, it's now your choice if you carry that hurt. Just because that man did you wrong, uh, sister, doesn't mean you become now every dude's side chick because you've given up on marriage. Just because, dudes, that girl cheated on you doesn't mean now you just make yourself a player out there. And just because your first marriage didn't work doesn't mean now you become like Oprah and Stedman, whatever, and just shack up with people for the next 20 years because that way you protect yourself. No, learn to love again. But start with loving God. Then he'll teach you to love yourself. Amen? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You'll get that right. And then may I encourage people here who not boasting. Listen to me. We're here and we're not boasting because we're saying our marriage is great and I'm living the dream. May I encourage those of you here who are like my wife and I, and I'm not trying to brag, humble brag maybe, that may we always remember to keep our marriage on this right here because you never know what's ahead of you and what you may face. And if you don't have God as your foundation, that storm may knock you out. Because I've seen great preachers get knocked out by having sex outside of their marriage. And I've seen women turn lesbian on their pastor husband with another woman in the church. I can tell every kind of perverted story. I've heard of pastors that know him personally, but took 16-year-old girls in their office and they're serving jail sentences now. And they've been married longer than me. So all of us, even if we have great marriages, never move away from this. In the beginning, the Creator made a male and female that a man might leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and that the two might become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man, including you,
yourself separated in Jesus' name. If you believe it, will you stand up with me now? Let's give it up for Jesus.